episode of Progress, Potential, and Possibilities, discussions with fascinating people designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome, everybody, again to another episode of our show with another really fascinating guest joining us today, uh, helping to create a better tomorrow uh, for all of us on many different fronts. Uh, today, we have the honor of being joined by Dr. Ola Engvist, who is uh, Associate Director Computational Chemistry uh, in the Discovery Sciences Research and Development Group at AstraZeneca Pharmaceuticals. Uh, Dr. Engvist is also an Adjunct Professor in Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning uh, based drug design at uh, Chalmers University of Technology. Uh, Dr. Engvist has his PhD in Computational Chemistry from the University of Lund, uh, did his postdoc research at University of Cambridge and the Czech Academy of Sciences. And he joined AstraZeneca back in 2004 and currently leads their Discovery Sciences computational chemistry team uh, within the biopharmaceuticals R&D group, uh, providing uh, computational solutions for all facets of drug discovery. Uh, Dr. Enkvist is passionate uh, about pushing the boundaries of using artificial intelligence and machine learning tools in drug discovery. A key focus for him is on building uh, both the team within Biopharm R&D and collaborating uh, with various external experts to advance uh, innovation on this front, both in drug design and synthesis. Uh, he has a rather pioneering collaboration with University of Munster, uh, where their team uh, demonstrated the first application of recurrent neural networks molecular design, which has been published uh, in two major uh, highly cited articles, and these methodologies ultimately allow their team to design uh, various novel drug molecules using, mach using machine learning to ultimately uh, navigate the, the very broad spectrum of chemical space that's out there, as well as uh, to exploit the, uh, the vast knowledge of the drug discovery process uh, in the organization. Uh, so with that introduction, Dr. Ola Enkvist, thank you so much for taking the time to come talk to us today. Okay, pleasure to be here, so thanks for having me. I should just say that actually since last year I'm heading a new department called Molecular AI, so it okay. is very still close to computational chemistry, but it has a new name. Sound, it, sound, it sounds equally cool. <laughs> So uh, I'd love to uh, start off, as we typically do, by handing our guests the floor just for a little bit. If you can take us a little bit on the early journey, everything from uh, where you grew up, when you first developed uh, your interest in science and chemistry and computational chemistry, and a little bit of your early uh, career journey. I think that would be a great way to start things off. I'm absolutely happy to do that. So I grew up on a dairy farm in the very south of Sweden called Skåne. Uh, so I lived there the first part of my life and uh, went went to school. Uh, and I think it was basically in high school, I started to get really interested in, in science. I think before probably history uh, was the most interesting subject for me. And uh, I think based a lot on curiosity, how things work and uh, particularly chemistry, uh, because I think it's, I think it's a bit more kind of logical than biology to me. There are still certain rules that, that you can follow. Uh, and uh, so studied science at high school and um, then decided to continue at the University of Lund, so to say the university in the southern part of Sweden. I studied chemical engineering there. Mm -hmm. In the Indiana actually took uh, mainly chemistry and math classes. Uh, and then there was an opportunity to actually pursue the combination 
mathematics, computers and chemistry. So I did a PhD in theoretical chemistry as a subject. So worked on uh, what is called uh, uh, intermolecular forces to basically mm -hmm. describe the interaction between molecules as accurate you can do. Uh, and then you can use it then to, to simulate say water solution or a ligand binding to a protein. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, and that was a very inspiring environment, I think, where I did my PhD and I learned really a lot. Uh, and then I continued as a postdoc. So I was postdoc for three years. So I got a Marie Curie fellowship to be in Cambridge for two years. Also, I think a very nice research environment and enjoyed it really there as well. And uh, the particular atmosphere you have in Cambridge, which I think is something special. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I spent one year at the Josef Heros Institute in Prague in Czech Republic, also working on uh, intimal in interaction more from a biological viewpoint. But then as a postdoc, I started to actually wanted to do something different. Um, at that time, I think computational chemistry was a pretty major field. Mm -hmm. the, the progress was in, in many ways slow. Uh, I, there was nothing much happening, I think. And uh, if an article, say 2000, kind of looked exactly the same how it looked like 1990. So it was, yeah, it didn't happen that much. And I wanted to see and do something different. So I joined a, a, a biotech company. Uh, and it was when it was like a boom, 2000. There was boom in biotech. The mm -hmm. first gene was sequenced. And it was, was a boom in a lot of other uh, fields as well through the internet. And um, and, and it was, was nice. Uh, uh, but uh, as you all recall, the, the boom around 2000 ended up in a bust. Uh, so, so I worked for two biotech companies, but unfortunately, none of them survived. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, again, I wanted to do something different. And then I uh, moved to the pharmaceutical industry. So, so I joined uh, Astra as a staff scientist 2004, joining a technology function, uh, which I'm basically still part of developing new methods for, for uh, computational application for, for drug design. And then been through uh, a few changes that asked also some uh, promotions to, to lead first leader group. Uh, and now uh, I'm leading a, a small department. Excellent. Excellent. And, you know, you know, thinking about some of the uh, the terms you're using, I, I think back uh, in my, my own time in pharma and, and I think back even longer than that, say the last century or so, you know, drug discovery has changed quite a bit from uh, very crude uh, accident methods into the era of sort of natural products, the sort of initialized you know, chemical libraries into the era of, uh, of combinatorial chemistry and, and SAR, and now into sort of the cutting edge of what you're doing. Um, today in 2021, and obviously not specific to AstraZeneca, but um, what does drug discovery, you know, if I was to walk in and, and walk around your area of AstraZeneca, and I was, what does it currently look like? Is it, is it many Dr. Ola Enqvist sort of at computers thinking about, or do you still have people actually screening substances and seeing sort of what works? Oh yeah, no, no, definitely. I mean, uh, drug discovery and that drug design is, is, is fundamentally an experimental science. But because in the end, 
where you, when you submit a, a compound for regulatory approval, either as investigate new drug or for a, a market application, it, it's fundamentally based on experimental data. Uh, so so it, it, it's, it's, it's very important to, to, to make that clear. It has always been and will always be an experimental endeavor to, to develop new drugs. But uh, we think, and of course the whole industry thinks that you can definitely speed it up with uh, applying machine learning and AI. And uh, that's happening a lot. There's, there's also a lot of progress in, in the experimental area or in automation. Um, so, so just look at the, the sequencing. I mean, 2000, it was a tremendous effort to sequence one human. And, uh, and now you, you can sequence many hundred thousand, even uh, millions of uh, individuals. So it's been also tremendous progress in automation that then feeds into more use of data science and mm -hmm. AI. And, you know, along those lines, you, uh, in 2018, uh, you wrote a paper that sort of uh, over uh, sort of arching history of, of AI, machine learning, and drug discovery. The title was The Rise of Deep Learning in Drug Discovery in Drug Discovery Today magazine. Uh, and you talk about sort of, you know, there was this first wave of uh, these technologies for looking at sort of uh, bioactivity predictions, but since then it's moved on to uh, de novo molecular design, a prediction of, of synthesis during the, uh, the process, biological image analysis. Uh, take us, I mean, I, I know this a couple of years ago, but walk us through, if you would, a little bit of some of your core learnings uh, in this paper. Yeah, so, so, so basically, I mean, it's, it's kind of 2018, it's just three years ago, but it's been a fast developing field. So actually quite a few things have happened. And uh, uh, so, so just take the history of cheminformatics and computational chemistry in industry. I think there was also a quick development very early on in the late 90s when there was combinatorial chemistry yep. and uh, high throughput screening arrived. And then I think that the field cheminformatics started. I think the, the, the term was coined in 1998. Okay. Uh, there was a lot of progress there with fundamental algorithms. And, and then I think not that much happened, maybe for 15 years uh, on the surface. Uh, they were using more or less the same algorithm. They had a little bit more computer power and so on, but not, nothing really significant. Uh, but uh, there was a lot of things happening actually under the surface. Okay. The arrival of uh, like open source tools like RDKit for cheminformatics uh, manipulation and so on. Databases like, like Campbell. Uh, so, and another database is like the, the EDB database where they have enumerated all fragments for graph theory. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, for us, we had an academic uh, collaboration, or actually it was a colleague of mine that have a more or less a chance encounter at a conference of a then unknown PhD student, uh, Marvin Segler. We invited him uh, and uh, started to collaborate with him a bit, and that resulted in a joint paper. It was the first paper describing recurrent neural network uh, for, for molecular design, which I think has been both influential actually in the industry, but very influential how, how we are thinking about it. And actually that was only a side project for Marvin. His main project was a 
his synthesis prediction papers. Mm -hmm. He's just been very influential in that field and uh, he, he published it in Nature. So, so, so basically it started for us um, uh, end 2016, beginning of 2017, that actually there was some effort that we could use to search the whole chemical space, uh, which could be like 10 power 60 molecules. So yeah, it, it's such a big number, so you, you can't enumerate, you, you can't <laughs> imagine it. Uh, and uh, the, then we continued to work on that. We did some uh, validation studies uh, that we published together with Professor Jean-Louis Raymond in Bern. We actually showed that we actually could sample the chemical space and we showed that for fragments where you can do the also the, the, the enumeration, so you, you have the ground proof to compare with. Uh, and then we, we have uh, continues to evolve the platform and uh, uh, develop new science. Uh, so we, we have been uh, in several international collaboration, EU funded to train PhD students. I think that has been very beneficial, I think both for us and for, for also the academic partners. And then we have successively improved the tool, particularly around scoring the molecules. Okay. Because I think with the, the RNN, uh, we have a good way of sampling the chemical space. But then you need to know if your ID is good or not so good. Uh, and uh, that, that's a lot of, that is depending on how you score them. And we have worked both with machine learning models there to, to predict properties like solubility and permeability. And, activity, but also combine machine learning AI with called physics-based modeling. Okay. So what I mean with that is like uh, simply, well, simply stocking, when you look in a ligand to see if it fits uh, in a protein cavity, mm -hmm. as we use that as a for scoring our molecules, and then you have more computational heavy methods that you can then score molecules even better in the post-processing step, like called free energy perturbation calculation, mm -hmm. where more, you calculate, the, so to say, through a simulation, the, the, the binding affinity. So, so we, we are continuously de developing the platform and then the hardening at, as well to show it's, it's not only to, to run academic codes, that's always the step to improve it, the hardening so we can, we can use it and then, uh, we, we are applying it to the internal pipeline. So uh, uh, currently we are approximately supporting two thirds of the small molecule drug discovery portfolio with mm -hmm. a suite of machine learning and AI tools for drug design. Excellent, excellent. And in a, a quite recent um, paper of yours, uh, it was in May 2021 in theoretical computational chemistry, uh, it was a comparative study of deep generative models and chemical space coverage where you, and it, it's, it's beyond the scope of this program in terms of uh, sort of the uniqueness of these, but um, I, I actually did a show a little while ago where it was with actually an investor that was getting a lot of business plans on the um, on the AI and, and drug discovery front. And, you know, it was one of those things that sort of shocked me how you keep up with, because like anything else, uh, everyone's creating lots of new AI, new models. Um, Basically, you know, looking at this type of study that you're reviewing these, you're in AstraZeneca and you not only have to discover the new molecules, but you got, you got to keep evaluating these new technologies and these new models that are coming out. Talk a little bit about that, if you would. I mean, how much do you spend your time um, on each of these activities? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it clearly, so to say, in machine learning AI, it comes with the history of open source mm. to publish your, your uh, results and, and data. Uh, and, uh, and of course, the, the, the main, so to say, deep learning engines, they, they are PyTorch, uh, original developer Facebook, and uh, TensorFlow, which is original from Google. Mm -hmm. I think everybody's using one of those two. Uh, and uh, so, so the, the, the barrier to do science, which I think is very good, is low. So mm -hmm. there could be a lot of contribution from all over the world. It's, it's not the, the most biggest and famous academic labs that can do important contribution. But it does create a lot of literature. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, a problem, I think, that we have a little bit inherited from computer science is there have been a certain focus uh, on uh, beating benchmarks, mm. and, and I'm not really sure for for that as a scientific field if that has been is is really that useful. So so when I read through article that should inspire our work internally, I see look more is the is there any original idea? What is what is the reason to believe that it works? How will it complement? Uh, what we are doing at the moment, mm -hmm. uh, and so so, so it, it's my job is actually there's quite a lot of reading and assessing what people are uh, in, in the field and see what how we compare and uh, which collaboration with academics uh, and other organisations are important for us to mm -hmm. to de develop the best possible computational tools we can to, to, to support the internal pipeline. Mm -hmm. But it's, it, it, it's a lot of work. Uh, and uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, um, that, that, that's good in many different ways. It's not only around accuracy, speed can also be important mm -hmm. and uh, how much you need to interact with the system yourself. So, so there's a lot of different parameters you need to uh, so say including in, in your assessment, uh, but I think that the, the field has moved forward quite quickly, and there's a lot of different algorithms uh, that have been tried out. And uh, for instance, what we have published recently is uh, is around the transformer mm -hmm. architecture, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that I think is, works very well in our field, like in many other fields. After all, you you can describe molecules with a language called SMILES, okay. uh, which have its own grammar. Mm. So you can see many times like a, a chemical reaction uh, or molecular optimization as a language translation problem. So I think that's one reason of the success in the field have been this, so to say that we can utilize, uh, is to say, algorithms that have been developed in other fields for our field. So, so that's, I think, one, one reason it has moved forward very quickly. Got it. And in addition to, obviously, your uh, work in molecular AI within AstraZeneca, you know, I've been reading about some of the, uh, the external collaborations. One of the, the extremely fascinating ones is this paper on malaria inhibitors, where you're, you're partnering with uh, Novartis and GlaxoSmithKline, uh, Cambridge, uh, Medicines for Malaria Venture Discovery Group. Um, obviously, non-confidential here, but, uh, confidential, but um, can you take us on a little walk through uh, this project? Because it seems... <laughs> extremely timely and very collaborative. 
Okay, so that, that is actually a very old project that okay. was uh, started uh, many years ago through our colleagues. Uh, and, and that was basically to support, um, uh, uh, to, to, to be able to, to build a general model for, for malaria. Um, and then many companies contributed their data. Mm. Uh, and uh, and then it was actually redone a second time uh, for, uh, yeah, for, for reasons that was some that, that had actually new data. And so therefore a new publication was published. Uh, but actually the original article there, I think was from 2015 or 16. So that's ah. actually pretty old. But though what we are doing now, that I think that is interesting, we are part of an EU uh, project called Melody. Okay. Uh, then we are 10 pharma companies that are doing a privacy preserving uh, machine learning. So we don't mm. share any underlying data. Uh, but basically by, by training it with a deep neural network uh, and basically train the middle layers together. We, we can uh, improve uh, our models without sharing any underlying data. Okay. So, so, so that is, uh, I think it, it's, it's a more modern way. The, 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 I think the Banlaya paper is, is nice, but it's actually based on uh, actually quite uh, something we did quite a, a few years back. Got it. Got it. And when I, I saw sort of the pharma names and then the different, it was just a very interesting collaborative model. Um, and any other, I would say, non-confidential uh, examples, some cases that you, anything you want to mention on um, uh, on that front? Um, so I think it's maybe I can mention a little bit about our collaboration with Nvidia. Okay. So actually, there is a. Nice video, uh, I think on LinkedIn from NVIDIA with one of my colleagues, Lindsay Edwards, telling a little bit about the collaboration. Uh, so so uh, uh, NVIDIA have a new supercomputer in Cambridge in the UK called C1. Okay. Uh, and we are collaborating with NVIDIA on uh, developing a giant uh, GPT-free-like uh, tran chemical transformer. Hmm. Uh, and... Uh, so, so basically, like to really see how well we, we can uh, train a, a transform architecture uh, on uh, yeah, all uh, publicly available uh, chemical compounds of interest and then see how, how the improvement uh, of the model, so to say, changes with, with size. So that's... Uh, I think a very exciting uh, project that uh, we are collaborating with NVIDIA on. So, so, and then we have several academic collaborations as well. Excellent, excellent. Um, well, obviously, you know, we, we, we hear a lot about uh, these tools like AI, machine learning in the early, sort of the early stages of drug discovery, but clearly there's a lot of vision in terms of um, what happens next? Because as you know, there's a lot that happens between drug discovery and then me taking that that pill at the end of the day after it's registered. Um, some of some of your visions, some of your ideas. And obviously, we uh, we hear about the potential to shorten preclinical drug development activities. Uh, maybe a little more futuristic. This whole principle of in silico clinical trials. Uh, Going out five years, 10 years, take us on a little journey of where you think some of these technologies may be taking us in drug discovery and development. 
Mm, okay, so the first caveat is that we do think it's still an experimental science, and and uh, uh, all uh, clinical decision will will be based on experimental data. Sure. But I, I think it's uh, the, the, there are a lot of uh, p potentials. Uh, but what I think is uh, have a very high potential is the combination of uh, new new uh, technologies, progress in, in, in trans, for instance, transcriptomics, but also cross-genomics, mm. that uh, should uh, uh, enable, together with technologies like knowledge graph, to be, so to say, to improve target selection. So we, we can work on the right targets. I think historically, if, if you see on failures, of course, there could be safety failures, but there have been a lot of, uh, so to say, failure in the clinic, in the industry due to efficacy. And I think there, by further understanding the biology through a combination of high throughput biology and machine learning, AI and data science, I think we, we can really hone in on, so to say, in the future, uh, much more, uh, so to say, targets that actually uh, translates. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I think that there, there is uh, uh, an enormous potential for impact. And I think in, 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 in clinical trials, I think they, 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 of course, get more and more complex and sure. you collect more and more data. So, so there is a natural component of data science in, in analyzing the clinical trial and uh, select the uh, patient cohorts and so on. So, so it will be much more digital. But, mm. but I think it, it's still that you will need to generate experimental data. It's not. Sure. <laughs> it, I think the in silico patient is, is quite far away. And uh, yeah. I think it's a little bit dangerous when people are telling that they, they will cut the whole drug discovery and development to one year. I don't simply think that's, <laughs> that, that's not realistic, simply. Yeah. You need to generate solid data. Sure. Uh, and uh, AI machine learning can help you to do that quicker, to hone in on the most important data that you should generate quicker and analyze it uh, really efficient as well. Got it. And you, you just uh, sparked one more thought in my mind because obviously, um, you know, uh, 15 years ago, if I was to look at uh, the top 10 selling drugs in the world, they were all small molecules. Nowadays, I look at that list and I, I don't recognize <laughs> any of them because they're biologics uh, and so forth. Um, just a, a couple of minutes, your, your thoughts on, you know, whether we're talking about proteins or mRNA therapies or gene therapies, or whatever's coming down the pike. Um, what do you brainstorm about in terms of how you can apply your knowledge of molecular artificial intelligence to all this new stuff that <laughs> is becoming sort of the, 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 yeah, no, the no, top? Yeah, yeah. Of course, first you should say that it's really fantastic. It's yeah. really a lot of innovation at the moment. And uh, of course, already in 90s, antibodies came along as now has established itself. And of course, as you point out, most of the top selling drugs nowadays are antibodies. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's, of course, a lot of uh, innovation in, in modalities and uh, already starting with small molecules. Then you, you have, uh, if you say, protein degrader called Protax, which I think is a very promising field. Uh, one, one also looks more rationally into covalent inhibitors. Mm. It is uh, also, I think, a promising field. But then you have all the... Uh, so to say, cell therapies, that's of course CART therapy, and, and uh, so to say, nucleotide therapies, antisense oligonucleotide, sure, and, sure. and so that's a lot of 
lot, lot of things happening. I, I would say when it comes to data science and AI, it, it's it's more challenging there than for small molecules. So, so sure. I don't think it's as advanced uh, in for other modalities. But but clearly, that's also an opportunity for the future to do more. Yep. Uh, and when you generate more data for those modalities to 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 build models to see what you can do with, with molecular dynamic simulations to actually understand let's say the the, the processes for those uh, modalities. So there's a lot of work going on with uh, uh, say for antibodies. How, how do you represent that best mm -hmm. in in deep learning? So it's so it's a. Uh, it's more of an emerging field compared to to in small molecules. Got it. Got it. Um, Ola, coming back to you now. Obviously, you've had a, a fascinating career so far. Uh, big pharma, startups, academia, um, collaborations uh, across that. Um, Giving, giving the mic back to you now, just for the wrap up, if you want to mention any uh, influencers, mentors throughout your career, your team, whomever, uh, please take the floor and um, uh, shout out to mention anything that I've missed <laughs> or anything else that you might want to say uh, about you. So, so, so I think with, I think there's a lot of people in, influencing me. And uh, I think for one was definitely my uh, uh, thesis advisor for my PhD. I think he had a, Fantastic, intuitive understanding how nature worked, mm. uh, which I still admire, actually. That, uh, uh, and he was very good at teaching it and spent a lot of time with me teaching it. So, so I think that's something I brought with me. I think it helped me a lot. Uh, a lot of understanding around molecules, molecular interaction, and so on. And uh, and then I think also at Astra, there are several inspiring leaders, particularly the current leadership with Pascal and Mena. I think they have a, a, a fantastic understanding of the, the whole uh, drug discovery development process for, for to say, from uh, bench to bedside. Excellent. Excellent. It's going to be a fascinating uh, uh, next few years to continue to watch uh, what you're doing in this space because it is really the cutting edge and it's just fascinating to hear you talk about it. A lot of it over my head, but uh, nonetheless, it's a very different uh, pharmaceutical industry nowadays and what's going to be coming. So um, for um, everybody that's going to be uh, listening to this particular episode uh, on our podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, uh, you've been listening to Dr. Ola Enqvist, Associate Director of Molecular AI, uh, Discovery Sciences R&D at AstraZeneca Pharma. He is also adjunct professor in artificial intelligence and machine learning-based drug design at Chalmers University of Technology. Uh, Ola, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to come talk to us uh, for a little while about what you're doing. Thanks for everything you're doing for the future of health. And as we say on our show, thanks for helping to create a better tomorrow through all your work. Really very inspiring. Okay, thank you. And thanks for having me.